Heavenly Father, today we put on the full armor to protect us against attack. We put on the belt of truth to protect against lies and deception. We put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts from the temptations. We put the gospel of peace on our feet to walk in your light, peace and freedom with the Holy Spirit. We rebuke anxious thoughts. We take up your shield of faith for protection to block and destroy all the darts and threats thrown at us by the enemy. We put on the helmet of salvation to cover our minds and thoughts, reminding us that we are children of a mighty king. We are forgiven, set free, safe by the blood of Jesus. We take up the sword of the spirit, your living word, that has the power to demolish strongholds and is sharper than any double-edged sword. We come to you, Lord, in prayer daily. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. What's up, you guys? I'm your host, Emma, from The Imagination, and I'm excited to co-host this special episode with SRA survivor and host of Only God Rescued Me, My Journey from Satanic Ritual Abuse, the one and only Lisa Meister. We are excited to introduce to you our guest of honor, counselor, life coach, founder of Elysian Oaks Life Coaching, and child abuse advocate, Amy Pfeffer. Amy's work with complex trauma survivors has made her journey extra special in this community. Not only does she carry the weight of her own story, but just like Lisa, her work helping with administering to survivors of human trafficking and SRA has made a huge impact on everyone who's had the honor of working with her. It's an incredible thing seeing SRA being talked about in a therapeutic setting, and it takes brave people like Amy to step up and be on the forefront of paving the way for future life coaches, therapists, and counselors to have the courage to be uncommon. And the beauty about things that are uncommon, such as treating SRA in a therapeutic setting, is that it just takes one person to start a movement until little by little people jump on board, making the minority the majority. People like Amy are change makers and the ones who choose to be first in uncharted territory, knowing the payoff is a safer future for survivors and for our children. Lisa and I are honored to showcase our amazing guests together in this collaboration podcast episode, and we encourage you to give Amy your full attention and, of course, to take notes because you're going to learn so much today. So you guys, without further ado, please help us in welcoming woman of God, selfless advocate, voice for the voiceless, and the absolutely incredible, amazing life coach, Amy Pfeffer. Amy, thank oh, you so my much goodness. for being here with us. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. And I was choking up as you were saying that. It's just so kind. Thank you. Uh, I think what, what you're doing is amazing. And Lisa made this awesome intro. Thank you so much, Lisa, for introducing Amy and for, for setting this up. We're really excited. And as we were talking before, you have quite the story. And I'd love to kick off with you just giving some background about who you are and how you got into the work that you're doing today. Yeah. Um, so as Emma said, my name is Amy Pfeffer. I um, own Elysian Oaks Life Coaching. Um, life coaching is a little bit different, and I know there's different connotations and definitions out there of what that might be. Um, I also am a nationally certified counselor, so um, I've got my master's in clinical mental health counseling, and I was working in group practice for a couple years and, you know, learning the ropes of the mental health community. And what I've um, found just in my work is that it's a less stigmatizing and sterile feel. Um, it's less about labeling, diagnosing, treating in the medical model sense of the word and more um, focused on the human and healing and walking a journey together kind of in partnership with our intelligent designer, the great counselor. Um, I'm never in competition with him, right? He's always my partner as I lift try to lift shame and layers of shame off of the clients that I'm working with and really just connect their hand to him. And once that's done, I my job's really done. Um, and so that's really how I work with clients. Um, do you want me to kind of jump into my story, my initial story? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, so I was uh, born near San Francisco, uh, California. Um, my father was um, an alcoholic and married my mother at, my mother was 17 and he was 36. So there was a big, big age gap. Um, she came from a very abusive um, experience, sexually abusive, physically abusive, had nine other brothers and sisters. And um, from what I understand at a very young age, um, three to four years of age, she was um, ritually abused by brothers and father um, in both physical and sexual ways. 
Um, and so looking back at her story, I have so much grace, you know, for her. Um, I do know that there were a lot of choices that she made out of that brokenness um, for the rest of her family. And as she had children, didn't really know how to connect deeply within herself to walk her healing journey. Uh, my father, same way, raging alcoholic, from what I understand, at a very staggering young age, like nine to 10 years of age is when he started drinking. So very young. And, you know, you could just tell that very, very unstable. Um Throughout the course of our young childhood, there was just so much instability, moving across country, living with different men. Um, she had married my stepfather. And obviously, you know, when you're brought into that type of environment with a step parent that is also struggling with substance abuse and a history of violence, um, you're likely to be more subject to attack as a stepchild. Um, so statistically, the rates go up for sexual abuse, physical abuse, and that's really what occurred with me and my sister um, and my younger siblings. One of the um, ways that I was abused by stepfather, not only sexually, but he um, had a horse whip and he would actually use that on the children. So I remember, you know, getting into my teenage years. And at one point, my uh, younger brother had stolen that horse whip and he had gone down to the river behind our house and thrown that in the river. And that was kind of a sense of empowerment that we had to kind of fight back against, um, you know, what was happening in our home. So, so much domestic violence, um, CPS involvement. We knew exactly when CPS would come, that we knew exactly the script, what to say, uh, to make sure that our family wasn't um, disbanded or in trouble in any way. Um, and I'm sure you know, just working with ritual abuse survivors and hearing stories, you know, CPS is not um, very helpful when it comes to protecting the children. Um, so when I was in my early teenage years, my mother decided to move into the sex industry um, with her family. And so she began working there often. We were very integrated with the um, sex industry owner, um, the one who owned the strip club. So I lived off and on with her along with other families. So from the age of about 13 on, I started living with different families, including her. Um, and believe it or not, like she lived more of a moral lifestyle than what I was accustomed to. Um, she was very relationship driven. She was um, African-American. And so I learned a different culture. I'm, a, I'm now a saxophonist and a, a soul singer and um, learned to embrace different cultures, you know, and learn the story of um, Harriet Tubman and how she was able to not just taste freedom for herself, but go back and rescue um those who are still in bondage to slavery. And so I, when you come from a background with any type of pain like that, like both of you, and I know Lisa for sure with, with the SRA, um, there's just like this burning tenacity where you wanna go into the fire of where you came from and rescue those out who don't have a voice. And so really about eight plus years ago, I started working with sex traffic survivors as a mentor and advocate. Um, so I went through a lot of training um, to make sure that I was there for them in the way that they needed. Um, I was on panels with judges and prosecutors and sex traffic survivors that were able to share their story. Um, and just really educating the community as far as here's what trafficking looks like. Um, and here's how to spot it. And here's what to do. Here's how we can help as a community surround them and just um, make them feel at home as much as possible. Um, and then as I started investing more and more time and recognizing that trafficking has a lot of components within the satanic ritual abuse side of things, I really decided that I needed to get additional training. And so that's why I went and obtained my master's in clinical mental health counseling and moved in that direction. So that's really where I am today, very short condensed version, but um, just being in the helping profession and, and being with these survivors and coming alongside of them, providing community and really just building a family, um, I think has been the most rewarding um, work that I've ever done. Wow. You really condensed your story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I love how you took in the story of Harriet Tubman and you made it your story. That's impressive. That that's yeah. beautiful. That's powerful. Well, and there's something to 
old spirituals, you know, and I know that's, they use the songs to communicate amongst each other and they had hidden and secret meanings to how they would get messages to each other. And there was just something about the soul of that music that just resonated with me. I didn't, I don't have dark skin. I didn't come from that type of uh, slavery, but I do know my type of slavery. And that is what I felt when I heard those songs. I felt that raw pain and just was so connected. So that's why music became such uh, a life-giving uh, gift for me. And really, I, I felt like at one point, if I didn't have music, I don't know that I would still be here today. Um, so yeah, her story is uh, phenomenal. I actually uh, got my carry permit a couple years ago and I named my gun uh, Minty after Harriet Tubman. So yeah, wow. she's a huge, huge um, story, huge blessing um, for her life, for sure. Wow. And then you have Emma who walks into something like this where it wasn't your story. And, and to me, that's even more of a hero because, you know, that burning thing in us is go back and get somebody and bring it out where you jump into something that's not a burning thing in you of this is part of me. And that's incredible. It just, it, you know, I, I'm still full mixed every time I see you, Emma, because you know, just you, you tear up, you still cry and you know, your, what was it? Five interviews you were going to have to start your podcast is how many have you counted up? How many you've had now? Oh man. Season three, every season is a year. So I'm almost at two and a half years. Yep. So 160 ish, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. But so, I think me too. This and is I'm your sure journey. It's like you guys feel the same, you know, you see all these other people that have stories too, and you can't help but say that could have been me or that was me, you know, and I think you see a piece of yourself in all these stories. And I don't understand how people can hear all of this and not want to do something. Yeah. You know, it's people, it's our most vulnerable population, our children, you know, and I think about Gosh, all the times in my life I've ever hurt, like all you ever wanted was somebody to be there for you or to stand up for you, you know, and to think these children don't have, there's nobody there, yeah. you know, so it's important. We all have a piece and I think it's beautiful what you two do because you guys can relate to survivors who come to you in a way that, you know, nobody else can, who hasn't gone through something really hard. It's nice to be heard and it's nice to be understood. You know, whether you're coming to someone who's been through it or not, for a survivor to have someone just to hear the story and to hold it and to say, yeah, I believe you, let me help you, it's it's gold. Yeah. It's gold. Well, I had a client today who, um, she came to me specifically, she's working with another mental health practitioner and she, it's kind of like when you look at someone for like a hairstylist and you want to know that their hair is great before you get your hair done by them. And that's kind of what she was saying is, you know, my, my counselor has been great and she doesn't have a history like me. And so sometimes you have to go through um, that to know the other person will be able to hold you or hold space for you on that side. But with Emma, you know, you jump jumping in without having all of that background, you just have a natural innate ability to sit with people and hold space without judgment and um, pretense. And that is um, a rare gift to have. Well, same thing with both of you, you both are, you know, it's enough. It's hard hearing these stories, and I can't fathom going through it. And so both of you carry your stories, and you're inviting everybody else to hold their stories, too. And I think that's really beautiful, too, the strength that you both have. I'm curious, Amy, for you, when did you first hear about SRA? When did that come into the picture for you? Because that's not something most therapists, counselors know. And even you know people who know what human trafficking is, a lot of them still haven't come across SRA. So it... <sighs> It's been there, but it's been snippets like all throughout. And I think initially when I first heard of it, it was probably over a decade ago. Um, you know, there were also snippets of a cult like in my family of origin, um, witchcraft and things like that that I would get glimpses of and hear. Um, 
But when it came to about a decade ago and I was seeing things in the music industry, um, I, I couldn't believe that it could really be satanic ritual abuse. Now I live in the greater Nashville area and music city, there's the country music, the hall of fame here, um, very much in the entertainment industry. And so there were some things that I was seeing that would lead one to believe that it was SRA, uh, but I just couldn't pierce beyond my cognitive dissonance at the point, at that point. Um, it was really when it was the clients sitting before me and sharing their stories. And I knew that's the last story they would have ever wanted to have. And the, seeing that person sitting before me terrified because I could have invalidated them in an instant, at least that's how they felt. Um, it made an impact on me to the point that I could no longer ignore it. Um, at the calls that I've had to do to for CPS, reporting uh, different rituals and having to then educate CPS on what satanic ritual abuse is and these children that are being impacted, the disbelief that I was met with in the mental health community you know, I had a, I was working in a practice with about 15 therapists and most of them didn't know a lot about sex trafficking, let alone SRA. I mean, um, there was not a lot of assistance there for me to um, garner uh, supervision or how do I help this person with this or that. But I think it was really the clients that taught me the most and um, maternal instinct, you know, seeing babies being impacted and mama bears out there that would fight for their children. And it made me want to fight too. And I want to master my content. You know, if I'm going to be working with a client, the people sitting before me become my research. Um, and so that's what led me down this path of SRA and, and really wanting to find answers for my clients. Well, as we're talking about children in advocating, and this is the platforms where we do that, we wanted to come together specifically tonight to talk about one specific case. So the whole family court system is something that is a problem, not just in America. I know in England, we have problems in Canada and a lot of other countries where we have unsafe parents, and it can be male or female, but usually it's the father. And when the children start to disclose abuse and the other parent panics and tries to get their children advocate for their safety to get them away from the unsafe parent, family court swoops in and tend to give custody to the unsafe parents. And we know that this is happening over and over and over again. I've already had Samantha Baldwin on my podcast. We all know she's from England. She's had two boys that were taken away from her. She hasn't seen them in years. I had Jennifer come on my podcast. She lost her two girls. She gets to see them two hours a month and she pays for her husband to abuse her children. And it, the stories go on and on. I have another woman coming on this weekend to tell her story. And it's just, and I'm getting these parents just like you, they're contacting me and it is horrific. And so we have a specific case that we want to talk about. And as horrific as it is to be an adult and a survivor of satanic ritual abuse, to know that the kids that are going through it and we have parents that know their kids are going through it. And now these are parents that are not participating in it themselves. So it's a mom and dad where one parent is ritually active. The other parent did not know what was happening. This is, this legitimately goes on. So in the case that we're talking about, the mom did not know. She has a couple children. 
that are young, the children started disclosing to her. She had never heard of this before. Found out what satanic ritual abuse was. And this is, you know, it gets graphic. Mom, why are they killing the babies? Mom, why are they going potty on me? Mom, what about the blood? Mom, why are there monsters? It's, it's, why are they eating people? It's graphic stuff that little kids are speaking about specific rituals. So this is what happened in this case. And this mom, in her trying to find help for her kids, is not getting help from the system. What do we do? And that's where we are tonight. Yeah. And so I guess, Lisa, if you would not mind for me to kind of jump in and um, let people know what, what we are doing. Um, there, this particular case is happening at the end of the month. And um, we want to be a support to this family. And um, if we can, um, it is happening. Do you, is it okay if I give a specific date and time? Uh, let's not. Okay. Well, yeah, let's okay. do that because we're going to be doing some prayer times to go along yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah, let's tell people when they should pray in the date. Yeah. Okay. So uh, at 9 a.m. on um, February 27th, it's a Monday. Um, there is a family and there's families all over the U.S. who will be going into court that day. Um, but want to specifically direct our hearts and prayers to this mama who is seeing her babies go through the most horrific time and the most horrific rituals that you could ever comprehend. And um, we want to cover her in prayer. We want to... Um, just pray against the enemy um, and anyone who would be banding with the enemy um, that day. We want to expose that. Um, so we would ask everyone that's watching um, tonight to uh, set a, a reminder, an appointment in your phone for February 27th at 9 a.m. Please be praying for this mom um, who wants to save her babies. And that's central time, right? Central standard. Yep. Okay. So that would be 7 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Arizona time, MST, 9 a.m. Central time, and then 10 a.m. Eastern time for people who might not be on that same time. But like Amy said, we'd love for you guys right now while you're listening. And of course, if you're driving, uh, maybe ask Siri to in your phone to, to schedule something for you. But there's so much power when people come together for prayer. And I think people that listen to Lisa and I's podcast, you know, we've seen that and just the power and what that can do, you know? And so even though we all, you know, we can't all be there with every single mother who's going to court every day, this is happening every day, you know, and, and we wanted to get together and say, how do we, how do we do a peaceful protest in a way that represents God and everything that we are? And I think the most powerful thing is when people come together, especially from all over, join hands, bow their heads and, you know, give Jesus our glory and ask him to protect this family and to, you know, help this mother as much as possible, even if that's just emotionally in court and to really pray for the outcome that we want. It, it is scary. There's so many kids, you know, and there's so many parents. I mean, you look at Samantha Baldwin, gosh, she's been fighting for so many years. Her kids are getting older now, you know, and it's like, she, she doesn't get to see them at all. And for no reason, mm. you know, and, and we need to not only bring awareness to this, but I think that that is something that we should always include in our prayers. And I think it would be so powerful if everybody listening, just set an alarm, even if it's just a minute of your day, or if it's, you know, you're sitting in your desk and you have a prayer that you can just read if you're at work, if there's just some way that you can contribute just at that time, we would love to have you. We're going to be in prayer. And I think, um, Lisa can maybe talk about this, but we were going to get maybe a couple of groups together for prayer. And maybe Lisa could talk about um, if you've asked anybody or if maybe if there's somebody listening and, and what people can do to maybe step up and help with this too. 
Uh, my friend Rosie is going to be doing a live on Only God Rescued Me channel during that hour. So from nine to, to 10 central time. So if you go to Only God Rescue Me, she will be on there and she will be praying and you can join her. Whoever can, that would be great. Or if you can't join on you know, live, just do it on your own or whatever time you can do it and be praying now up until that. We need favor for this woman in the court. We need custody, 100% custody to come down to her. We need an exposure to the Luciferians that are involved in this, that we will know exactly what they're doing and the court will know exactly what we're doing. We need the right judge. We need the right gals and the guardian ad litem in these cases. We need exactly all the right people to be in the right spots to pull this off because we know that we got a lot of the wrong people. And that's how in these cases, in these family court cases, they come in and it's case after case after case that these children are given to pedophilia parents and they're given to the SRA parents and it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. And I would say too, if we can add to that, um, those are phenomenal ways to pray also for conviction of spirit, heart and soul of the perpetrators that they would recognize that what they're doing is not correct and that they would repent and they would show true love towards their children. Um, and if not, if they decide not, that they would be removed, uh, the children would be removed fully from that situation. We also need healing for these kids. I mean, what they're going through is horrific. So we need the ability for them to be handling what they're going through and the ability to mentally deal with it in a way that they can understand it and maintain some kind of emotional health through it so that they don't go to addictions as they get older, that they don't go into suicide. I mean, we got to pray for their lives and that they can get to healing. This is a long road for them. Yeah. And for everybody that's listening that have lost their kids, knowing that it's SRA. My suggestion is have a, he a healing plan in place for when the kids come back into your custody, kind of as a faith step that as soon as they're back, you're going to know, you're going to be educated what SRA is, what healing is involved. You need to know what dissociation is. You need to know what programming is. You're going to need to know what the healing modalities are. You're going to need to know how do you show love you're going to need to know how to be a listener and you're just going to need to be ready to go. And the more educated you are and the more ready you are, the better when they're coming back into your home. I, I know it's very easy just to say, this is too hard for me to know what they're going through. So I'm just going to shut that off until they come back to me. And I get that. I really, really do but I really believe that we're going through a shaking right now, this Luciferian kingdom. And, and you can see that if you look around, like even the Grammys, you know, with all that demonic stuff that they're showing that the people that are in the Luciferian kingdom are showing us right now who they are. They're not hiding it anymore. And this is part of God shaking all this stuff. People are showing us who they are. And we, we believe that in this shaking, that God is shaking these kids. We believe he's going to be shaking them out and shaking them back into the custody of the safe parents. So as the parents be ready to get your kids back, I just, we were praying for that. So be ready, be prepared. And we got to get these kids healed. Amy, I'd love to hear how common in your practice, how many people are coming to you just maybe a percentage of kind of what you see with SRA, with parents dealing with corrupt family courts, as somebody who's open to that, what are you seeing? Yeah, I actually just was at a speaking event with Hope Beryl Green, who's an SRA survivor, and Kathy O'Brien, who um, was trafficked at the White House and Pentagon level on Friday. And I mentioned there that I would say upwards of 40% of my caseload of the clients that I see come from ritual abuse and SRA backgrounds. 
it was it's a lot more than I had ever imagined, but it's it's incredibly rampant. And I think with mental health practitioners or even life coaches, we're seeing a lot more clients than we recognize that are coming from these backgrounds, but they've learned to not share specific parts of their story until they're with someone that's safe. Um, and in working with Kate Holman and Revelation Gateway Ministries and all the work that they're doing for SRA survivors, it seems as though for about 10 years or so, most survivors are looking for help. They recognize that something is wrong, but they don't know until about 10 years in on their journey that they've actually experienced SRA or ritual abuse. And what advice would you give to people going off what Lisa was saying, where there's I mean, disclosures are at an all-time high, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of people, and maybe it's podcasts like Lisa's and, you know, just so much blatantly in our face with Hollywood that people are starting to just be aware that there's evil around them um, and they're learning the terminology for it quicker than maybe they would have, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, because it's just a little bit more, not mainstream, but just more people are talking about it now. How would you recommend just from, you know, you're somebody too that didn't experience SRA, but you learned about it later on and now you're working with people. How or what advice would you give to people who experience that in their life and, and don't know what to do when they're when they're sitting down with somebody who's telling them something that maybe they're not familiar with and that can be really intimidating? How can we be there better for SRA survivors? Um, I think... I think a lot of times people like giving advice. They like judgment. There's um, there's a way that, and I'm not trying to dog on the Christian church, but there we have a church is full of Job's friends, right? And Job's friends come in and they let you know what's wrong with your life and how um, you have open portals to different things and, and you're probably have evil in your life. There's a lot of judgment. And if we recall, God rebuked Job's friends. Um, so holding space for others, um, hearing the story, but recognizing, Hey, I'm not a professional. Um, and sometimes there can be secondary trauma that goes on. I, I would love to see an uptick in the church being able to sit with people and recognize when there's truth being told and really entering into spiritual warfare and really education in the church so that this isn't such a taboo topic. Um, I, I think, I don't know how much hope I have for that at this point. I would love for us to pray for that to occur. Um, but I think just holding space for each other and without judgment, not trying to give advice, just listening to their stories. Um, it's a messy process healing. Um, and that individual as well that's gone through that, uh, there has to be a tenacity um, towards healing. And that initial disclosure to a friend may not be what brings full healing to them, but it might be the first step in a non-judgment zone where they can feel safe. I think providing safety is the biggest um, issue that needs to be addressed at the very onset of any type of healing journey. Feeling safe is very difficult for a survivor. Yeah. And we definitely don't feel safe in churches. And that makes sense. And what about from your perspective, Lisa, being a survivor, what are some things that can make a survivor feel really safe on your end when you're talking to somebody, whether they know about it or not? Having somebody having the space to listen, you know, the majority of people have never heard of it or they haven't heard of a lot of aspects of it. They don't understand it. So there is a lady, a friend of mine, and she and I have been praying for weeks and she one day she's like, do you mind if I ask you some questions? I'm like, no, go for it. And she just asked some really good questions about SRA. Like most people don't do that. Most people never look it up. They never want to know about it. They never ask questions about it. And I take it as they really just don't care. They don't care enough to really check into it. 
they would rather not know, like, we should just never talk about it. Now, because of what I do, it's a really big, important part. And then if you know me on a friendship level, which I don't have a lot of people that I let in that close, you're going to have to know about it because there's things like that are triggering or there's things that you just can't do around me because of my background and my family know, know those things, you know, and they watch out for that. But if you're going to be around me and, and I need to be able to share those things with you, then you need to be a safe person. And if I can't talk about that, then yeah, that's probably why I don't let people around, you know, or don't let people in. So like asking questions, like how hard is that? You know, like your story, Amy, I find it fascinating. It's like, tell me more about that. How did that make you feel? You know, how do you move forward or how difficult is marriage for you? Or, you know, those sort of questions. And you can say, yeah, I'd rather not talk about that. Or, oh yeah, let's talk about, you know, and, and that's part of a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're like, I don't want to hear about your past, let's just do life now. You know, it's like, I don't have space for you either. Yeah. Yeah. My response. Well, and and actually that makes total sense because it's like they're rejecting not only just your story, but that's you. Yeah. And so it's very difficult for you to then feel like you're in a safe place if you can't share you. Right. Um, I was informed from a particular ministry um, not to talk about the work that I do and not to talk about the clients that I see. And also not to talk about the issues in church. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. Now I'm going to abide, you know, by those regulations because for them, it's um, it maybe has seemed like I have a chip on my shoulder with church or um, that I'm too into the dark side of things, that I'm staring into the abyss and I should really be looking and focusing upwards only to God. And it's like, well, we have to know our enemy. We have to know the depths of the mortal enemy of our soul to know the majesty of our God. Um, and so it's really your perception and the way you look at it. Now, I do respect where they're coming from because it may be too much for them. It may be secondary trauma for them. They're just not at that point. But as a kingdom of God, we have to, um, we've got to get ready for battle. And I think a lot of us um, in the church don't have the real deal. We don't have what it takes to step into the battlefield of warfare. And um, I think we need to get serious about that. Now, Emma, you even get shunned in your own family because of your podcast. They don't even want to hear what you're passionate about. I mean, it's just crazy. It's tough friends too. You know, it it was very interesting stepping into this because I'm so just my mind is blown learning that these things have existed around me and, and I didn't know. And I'm so eager to share somehow or to just do something because I feel so helpless. And it was just so wild getting the response, you know, and it made me have so much more compassion for survivors where people are just like, oh, that's a conspiracy. That's crazy. That doesn't happen. That's just in movies. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you guys, like Lisa said, does nobody in this world even ask a question or just how hard is it to just go look it up? You know, that was what I, it sounded too crazy to me too. In the beginning, even just learning about human trafficking, much less SRA, it does sound crazy, Mm -hmm. but that was why I went and looked it up. I was like, I, this can't be real, you know? And if it is, it can't be common for sure. You know, this has to just be something an anomaly if it does happen to somebody and I don't know how you can't do something or just feel so shocked and helpless whenever you learn about this and it is it's amazing that people would treat survivors or you Amy a professional you know you are decorated you have all these degrees you're very well spoken you're beautiful you're intelligent you're working with clients you have a career in this but don't talk about your career basically yeah. Lisa, we want you at this retreat, but please don't mention SRA, but tell us anything else you want about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's happy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. gosh, this is such a weird society that we live in. We've gotten so used to this pretty perfect suit and tie culture where we went to school that way, where we had to be perfect, prim and proper. Don't speak when not spoken to only talk about what's in the curriculum. Don't ask questions beyond that. And then you get to work, you know, after school and it's the same thing, show up, 
Don't talk about things that you do in your spare time. We don't want to know if you got drunk last night. We don't want to know if you've ever gone through something hard. Just show up to work, be perfect and turn everything else off, you know, and that's really tough. It, it really leaches into our relationships where we've lost that ability to ask questions. Like Lisa said, mm-hmm. who are you? How did that make you feel? What What's your story? You know, tell me more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing so good. I'm perfect. How are you? Oh, I'm perfect too. You know, and it's like, wow, we need to really change this because more people than not, like you said, 40% of people coming to you have had SRA somewhere in their life and they're in their story. So when we think about that in real life, that could be, I mean, I, it, it would not surprise me if that was, you know, some type of a real statistic in the world, just with people that were passing by every day and saying hi to you, mm-hmm. you know, well, and, and let's take that statistic then to how many kids are going through it right now. And then how many of those kids are going through the family court system right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean, these numbers start getting really scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. All the children in foster care. You know, especially there. Yeah. Staggering. Well, and I think with kind of what you were talking about is like an emotionally avoidant society that we've become. And if we have biological, psychological, social, spiritual, and emotional components to our humanity, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body, but there's so many multifaceted layers to humanity. And if we neglect any one of those, we're lopsided as a human. But as a culture, we've decided that it's okay to be totally ignorant of emotional stability and well-being, and we just avoid that completely. Um, And so the system perpetuates itself because things that look crazy are crazy because everything is perfect and should be perfect, and this is the image that we project, and that's it. Um, There was a survivor that I was working with um, who came from an SRA background, a multiple with uh, she was beautiful and um, had a lot of programming. And you can tell that she had a lot of very strong alters. Um, she reached out to me specifically because she knew the work that I spoke about with Kathy O'Brien that I was doing and some others. And she had reached out to me through a back door and she was like, the type of trafficking that you're talking about, that's what I've experienced. And um, what I learned is that the anti-trafficking organization that she was in the program for was telling her that that type of trafficking didn't exist. And so for me, I thought, okay, either they're totally ignorant or they're in on it and perpetuating what is happening. And so what I've learned is that there are a lot of organizations that are re-trafficking their survivors under anti-trafficking organizations, and they are gaslighting their programmees and letting them know that the type of uh, ritual abuse that they experienced was not accurate. What a great cover. Perfect cover. Perfect. Wow. And then everyone on the outside just simply believes it. Yeah. Amy, are there things that you've seen, speaking of children, and, you know, Lisa and I are just like you, you know, you're, you're seeing parents on the daily coming to you at your practice. And Lisa and I are seeing them behind the scenes, you know, who are finding our, finding us through our podcasts. What, in your opinion, are there signs that you have seen that could possibly indicate to parents that are maybe very new to this or that are going through hard times, maybe in their family dynamic? What can people look for or a, a, somebody in a classroom, a teacher, anybody who works with kids? Are there things that people can look for, whether it's SRA or just abuse, that might be helpful in identifying this sometimes because it is happening a lot? Mm-hmm. There's so many things. Uh, you could go on Google and look, you know, what what do survivors experience or how can you spot a survivor? What, they, what do they do? And I think it's different for each case. And it also differs depending on the level of sophistication of programming that they're under. Some are totally undetectable mind-controlled slaves, right? And they've got a very solid altar that is on the forefront. They might have Janus programming or Janus programming, which is that Christian front altar. Um, And they may seem totally normal and perfect and you would never know um, unless 
they came to you and started conversing and disclosing specific things. Um, if they come in one day and they act one way and come in another day and act totally different. Um, if you notice that there's a blinking of an eye and then they start acting different. Um, if their uh, startle reflex is incredibly strong, um, if they can't make eye contact. Um, for older teenagers, right, if they, or even into 20s and 30s, if they don't have any um, type of identification, um, if they're constantly deferring to the handler that's next to them. Um, so many different ways that we could look up on Google, multiple different documents that have this type of information, but those, those are some of um, the ones that I've seen, but I've, I've also seen uh, malnourishment. A lot of times water and um, food is withheld depending upon the situation. Um, I've seen uh, malnourished women whose hair and nails always look amazing uh, because they're constantly bringing them to the nail salon and making sure that their hair is done and that they're ready for whatever work, how, however many tricks that they're turning that day. Um, so it, it's really dependent on the case, but those are some. Uh, if there's very quick behavior changes um, over a course of time, if they stop communicating with parents, if they start skipping class for long periods of time and they don't come back, um, if they lose time, if there's long periods of time that they uh, are in their room, sometimes it could be days where they're in the room and they just lose time, where they're fully dissociated away from whatever is going on. Um, those are all signs that we can look for. And Lisa, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that as you experience it firsthand. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think through, you know, when I was little, um, I went through like some emotional tics coming through. Because I think, you know, when you're very programmed and very shut down, your body will trigger some SOS kind of responses. So like I, I would blink incessantly and wouldn't be able to stop. Or I went through a period in my teen years where I was just always looking at the ground and I only look up if I was told to look up, you know, um, I was very controlled by my dad always, um, very, um, rule oriented person. I would follow rules to the T like, um, I remember in sixth grade, I was the only person who never missed recess. And the uh, teacher was determined I was going to miss recess because he wanted me to be a normal kid. And it's just like, I was absolutely perfect in every way, shape or form. So that highly controlled kid, you do not make a mistake. You do not do anything wrong. Yeah. Although yeah. I had some other friends that they fought tooth and nail. You know, they rebelled like crazy. I had one friend and they would put her in a cage in a ritual if she got out of control. And she said, I would do that because you're safe when you were in the cage. <laughs> Good for you. You're tough. I like you. Wow. You know, that was great. I was never like that. I was just like, yep, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Just, yeah. you know, look at the ground until I was told to look up sort of. That's how I dealt with it. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is so deceiving about abuse is, and I mean, it's the same with how we look at somebody who might be involved with human trafficking, we're so conditioned because what maybe Hollywood portrayed abuse to yeah. look like or a perpetrator to look like. And so in everyday life, we're very blind to maybe what a victim could actually look like. You know, nobody would assume that the star athlete, the A plus student, the one that always shows up involved in all the extracurricular activities, nobody would suspect that that kid could be going through the unimaginable at home. You know, it, it just how do you conceive of that, that they're going through that at night and then they're going to school the next day and performing that high. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's why this is so important that we talk about this because that is what abuse looks like sometimes, you know, it doesn't. And that's why it's allowed to happen. Like perpetrators, they're not stupid. That's the part that people don't get, you know, the movies make them look like these goofy drug addict, you know, people that were black and kidnap people in white vans you know, and it's like, no, it's very opposite. Perpetrators are usually very close to children and victims. The abuse is hidden so well. These people are, are so good at what they do, sadly, 
that it's very hard to detect it, whether it's through programming or just the type of abuse, maybe it's something that doesn't show up on the child's body or, or emotional, you know, but there's so many ways that this can be hidden and so many ways that it can look. And it's so important that people are just aware of it. Even if like Lisa said, maybe nobody could detect it with somebody like Lisa because her front altar was so good at composing, keeping composed so she could get through it and, and nobody would know. Mm -hmm. But I think even children like that, we need to start keeping an eye on, on that child mm -hmm. that nobody would ever look at and suspect just to, I mean, even for you, Lisa, to have, you know, that, um, was he a minister? The guy that, that helped save you whenever you were seven and introduced you. Mulner, yeah. Yes. Your pastor, even just somebody like that, whether it's even just a teacher stepping in a therapist, a, a, whoever it is, you know, getting better at just showing love and compassion to everybody. You never know what that can do for somebody. Mm -hmm. I think too, we're in such a Luciferian drenched me centered self-consuming culture that we don't know to have eyes to see others. Um, so when we can be more acutely attuned to the pain of others around us, um, obviously we need this to be good and going deeper in the root system with, with our intelligent designer. But when we have that, we are more apt to be able to look out and see some of these things that uh, others might not catch. And then it's up to us to, to, if we see something like the old high school saying, do something, if we see something, do something, but we only have eyes to see when we're able to look. I've had people say to me too, that there's so-and-so child, and I'm concerned that they're being ritually abused. What do I do? And, you know, most kids cannot disclose that to somebody. Right. There's no way I could have even disclosed it to people. I, you know, it's shut, so shut down. Be kind to that child. Let them know you see them. Be a soft place for them. Do something nice. You know, like for me, if someone just smiled at me, it meant the world. Mm -hmm. You know, be that one person that brings a little bit of joy to that child. And you might be the only one. Mm -hmm. And just do that. And a lot of these kids have nobody. Yeah. So if you suspect it, be praying for them and see if there's a way that you can touch their life. And it, you know, it's like, okay, that's not much it's for the, you know, from being that kid, I can tell you that that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Even just with me and not having an SRA background, but growing up in the sex industry with a loveless family of origin. And I remember in third grade, there was this beautiful teacher that saw me. And she had put on the report cards, I wish Amy would smile more. I wish Amy could smile more. But what she did was when I would walk into the classroom, she would run up to me and pick me up and spin me around in front of the class. And it just stuck with me. You know, it was one of those confidence building moments where it's like someone sees me. And um yeah, you just never know how impactful you can be to another human. And really that's that's what the church is. That's what we're here for. We are here to hold space for other humans and help them to feel safe. And healing will happen in time. Healing's not an event, it's a journey, but we can be part of that if we just look around and see how we can touch that life. And that's what we're doing for this woman that we're going to pray for and show up for and, yeah. you know, and as we do this, we're also symbolically holding her for all the other moms and dads that are going through this. So everybody that's listening, you know, even if you don't have people that know what you're going through and your kids are going through specifically, we're also praying for you. So that. is there anything else anybody wanted to ask to add in? I wanted to just ask both of you one more thing. You both said earlier for people to include in their prayers to pray for redemption for the people that we are looking at as the enemy, the ones that maybe aren't even conscious yet that they're an enemy, which most of them aren't. I'd love for you to, to for you both from your own perspectives to explain why that's important because a lot of people take the opposite route where it's just grab your pitchforks and go kill everybody. And even though we want to get justice, we do want the perpetrators to 
have a consequence for their actions. There's such value in what you're saying with pray for them too. And I'd love for you guys to explain why, because I, I would love for people to include that in their prayer for all the people that are trying to take this woman's child for the abuser of her children and for everybody who, you know, is on the opposing side of good in people's eyes in this case and in all cases. Amy, you want to start? Sure. I think if we adopt a heavenly mindset and culture that is totally otherworldly than where we are right now, um, the ultimate goal would be that these perpetrators recognize the abuse and uh, the demonic ties and the Luciferian um, agenda that they're coupling with and totally repent and walk the other way so that they're not segregated and separated for all of eternity from their intelligent designer. Um, I, I just try to envision what our God might be thinking when he looks down and he wants to smite, you know, he wants justice, he wants to take out. Um, and also coupled with that, there is uh, mercy and steadfast love and long suffering. Like we can't comprehend as humans, we just can't. We don't get that um, because it's not fully part of our nature, um, but it is our God's. And I think at the end of the day, we would want, they, well, they have to uh, um, address and account for what they've done. Absolutely. For what they were partnering with. Now, some of these people are still under mind control themselves. Are they fully responsible for the choices that they're making? I don't know. You know, I, I if it were up to me, they would be ridded from the planet um and at the same time i know that's probably not the heart of god so that's really where i was coming from with that statement i see it as as god says pray for your enemies pray for those who despitefully use you so i see it as a biblical precedent of that's something that we're supposed to follow um if they refuse to get right before god then they stand before god and all that they're doing yep. also if we hold on to anger and bitterness, then that's going to, you know, take us down a really bad path that we don't want to go down. And that's going to hurt us. And ultimately, we want to stay right before God so that we can help, you know, this, this mom, these kids, other people around us. And if we get so burned up with anger, we're not going to be any good to anybody. And we can't do that if we go down that road. And I think that's why God does that. You know, he can handle that. We can't. And it's above my pay grade. I don't want it. I don't want to deal with any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It took me a long time to deal with that with my dad. I think it was two years of trying to deal, think through all those issues. What's justice? What's revenge? What I want it. And I thought through it all. I mean, I, I took my time thinking through all the scenarios and would that be enough? Would that count? And I took my time you know, and decided God's way was the best way after all. And I've never been sad about that, you know, and the people that I find that aren't able to do that, they're, they're, not, you know, they can't let it go. And, and they're, they, they get very miserable in it where, you know, with me now, I can think of the abuse without my dad attached to it and without him coming up all the time, which is nice. Cause that's the way it was until I was able to forgive and let it go. And, you know, it's, it's like, I would like him to get right with God. And if he doesn't, that's between him and God. Yeah. You know, but I'm not going to be in the way of that. That's my way of looking at it. I love that. I, for me, that was my initial reaction. When I first learned about all this, I was enraged. I was one of those people grab the pitchforks. They all need to be on death row. We need to kill all of them, you know, and maybe some of them, that is the solution. I don't know, but I also think that we've been so programmed with all the violence that the Luciferians throw in our face through everything and the violence that they cause uh, here on our planet and broadcasted everywhere on the news for us to see that we've gone to the point as a society where when we're presented with an enemy, we treat them the same way that our enemy wants to treat us. You know, and I think that there's such a value in stepping back and saying, I'm actually going to fall to my knees and pray for you. You know, I want you to experience the freedom and the love that I have in my heart 
just like God wanted that for you when you were born. You know, we were all born divine children. And like you said, Amy, are they responsible if they're under mind control for everything that they've done? I don't know. There's so much gray areas in, in this realm, you know, but I think just we're never going to break the child abuse cycle and culture that we live in if we keep perpetuating it in every way. And if we stand before God, you know, knowing that he wants us to love and he's going to be the judge. And if we're out here just killing every enemy that we can, you know, and calling ourselves righteous. Um, so I just wanted, I, I hope that that makes sense for people because we do need to keep our enemies in our prayers. You know, God did create everybody. He didn't create a single person and say, I want you to be abused and I want you to have hate in your heart. And I want you to go around killing people and abusing children. You know, he weeps for, for those who haven't found the path. And I think, you know, the least we could do is weep with him and pray and still want justice, you know, want all of that, but to not do it with hate in our heart. So I appreciate both of you sharing that. Yeah. I think it's still okay to be mad at him. Yeah. Still mad at my dad. I would not go hang out with him. (laughs) You know, nor would that be safe. No, certainly not. Yeah. I I think there is a time kind of like that ecclesiastical paradox. There's a time for hate and a time for love, a time for war and a time for peace. And there are times when we have to experience the rage for what happened. Um, And I do feel like too, and I don't mean to diminish anyone's pain when I say this, but if we didn't have evil, we wouldn't really get to choose God. If Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God all the time and he never concealed himself, they wouldn't have had that first choice. And so it's not that God wants these things to happen. He does not. But without the presence of evil, we can't choose good. When I look at the SRA survivors that I work with and even Lisa um, and others who are out there helping, um, I see with the depth of depravity that they had to experience and how they overcame and still chose God, they are the ones paving the way forward for the church. They are the ones who have fought that spiritual warfare and won. And I'm not saying it's beautiful puppy dog, rainbows, sunshine, butterflies, but when you've been able to conquer that, that is a type of, um, battle that not a lot of people have been able to cross and i feel like the sra is out there they're going to be able to lead us in the end times um i I honestly feel that if the churches will let us in yeah i'll (laughs) let you in we'll start a new church how about that (laughs) thank you amy i appreciate that of all the interviews i've done with with lots of sra survivors and people that i've met not one of them not one has said about their perpetrators, which in many cases were family members or close friends, they always are usually somebody very close to them. Not one has said, I wish I could go kill them or I wish that they'd die. They have all wished for their healing, you know, and that to me really spoke volumes too. You know, it's like, gosh, we need to, we need to look at this different. That's such a beautiful thing to want for people who are led astray. Yeah. I always thought I'd be becoming them if I thought that. And I'm not going to be them. Yeah. And so Lisa, remind us again, where can people find, uh, where, where's this prayer going to be airing and how can people join in? So if you go to only God rescued me, it should be a live event. So go to live and you'll find it there. And on that YouTube. is on, the date was, can you remind Mon- us? It's Monday, the 27th, Monday, February 27th, at- nine o'clock central. Okay. I hope everybody tunes in that day. I'll link it to you. This show is going to come out before on both Lisa and I's channel. We'll put the the link. Obviously, if you're on Lisa's channel, you already know, but if you're not, if you're on my channel, go subscribe to Lisa's channel. I will link it in the show notes for you guys to find. Um, That way you guys can go tune in that day and we'll alert you if there's any other small prayer groups or different platforms pay attention to our social media or follow us on YouTube and we'll post it in the community section or on our social other ways that you guys can maybe, you know, pray if somebody wants to take on 
Facebook or Instagram. And if somebody listening is like, Hey, I'd love to start a little prayer group. What can I do? Reach out to us and let us know. And we'll help you promote it. Yeah. Yeah. The more, the better. That would be great. Do you ladies have anything else? I think so. Nope. Let's go out with shaking the Luciferian kingdom prayer. All right. From where we are seated in Christ Jesus. From where we are seated in Christ Jesus. At the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father. The Lord God Almighty says. The Lord God Almighty says. The time has come. The time has come. For the Luciferian kingdom to be shaken. For the Luciferian kingdom to be shaken. We decree. We decree. That the great shaking. That the great shaking. Of all who worship Lucifer begin. Of all who worship Lucifer begin. Your sorceries and sacrifices. Your sorceries and sacrifices. Will not help you. Will not help you. Your protection is removed. Your protection is removed. Let the shaking of the Luciferian kingdom increase. Let the shaking of the Luciferian kingdom increase. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Amy, so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was an honor, ladies. And thank you, Emma. Uh, This was so awesome. I appreciate you putting this together, Lisa. And Amy, can you tell people where people can find you real quick also? Yes. So if you go to ElysianOaksLifeCoach.com, they can find me there. And for my channel, go to the Imagination Podcast on YouTube and follow Emma and you will be so glad that you did. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Ladies, thank you.